you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 267 of the Speaking Club podcast. I want to start this show with a quote from artist and speaker Bruce Garabrandt. Creativity doesn't wait for that perfect moment. It fashions its own perfect moments out of ordinary ones. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hello. How are you? I'm good, albeit a little bruised. I had a trial of Brazilian jiu-jitsu last night and someone knelt on my elbow, which swelled up. And somehow I've got a swollen knee too. Don't know how I got that one. I don't know if you know much about this martial art, but basically there's a lot of grappling with your opponent on the floor and lots of people absolutely love it. I must say I got into some very interesting positions with my partner and I think it's fair to say I haven't got that close to someone before without being in a relationship with them. I did enjoy it but now I'm just mentally grappling with whether I'll have the time and fortitude to do it justice. If you do jujitsu then let me know what you think about it and uh, whether you think I should give it uh, another go. Okay well Enough of my quest to get lean and fit and fierce. Let's talk about today's show. As you may know, in addition to teaching people how to become awesome speakers, I'm a writer. And that's how I first discovered Joe Gatford. I was writing my second play, Crunch, and it was taking ages. And, and I needed some concentrated time to focus on getting it written. That's when I discovered Writers HQ. Joe is an award-winning writer of short and long fiction and the co-founder of said Writers HQ. And it's an organisation which is dedicated to providing low-cost writing courses and resources to arse-kicking writers with no time or money. They've got such a brilliant brand and... Uh, way of sort of speaking to their audience. I love it. And in the past five years, Writers HQ has given away over £10,000 of writing courses and retreats to underrepresented and systemically excluded writers and seen hundreds of students go on to be published and win prestigious literary prizes. Now, Joe herself has worked as an editor and copywriter for over 15 years alongside all her writing exploits, and she's been teaching creative writing workshops for almost a decade. Now, you'll probably be aware that the best talks are full of stories, absolutely chocker full of stories. And in this show, Jo is sharing her thoughts on storytelling and what can get in the way of creation, as well as a few tips and hacks to get your stories moving and moving in the right direction. Well, that's enough from me. Let's switch over to the interview and my chat with Joe Gatford. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Joe Gatford. Hello. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, you're more than welcome. So I've sort of mentioned how how we're connected. So obviously I've been been in the Writers HQ for a little while and went along to a retreat and and went to one of your workshops and thought I must get Joe on the show. And here we are. So um, thanks very much for coming on. And uh, I wanted to start off by asking uh, what you wanted to do when you were little. Oh, everything. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to be a pilot, actually. Um, cool. I wanted to fly. I don't know. I don't know where that came from. And then there's no way I could have because um, definitely not 2020 vision. And then I perhaps unrealistically wanted to be a cowboy, um, which I have actually cowboy top uh, on right now. Um, nice. Then I thought long distance truck driver, lorry driver, because I didn't necessarily want to be around people very much. And I liked making up stories. And I thought, well, that's an ideal long distance journey that you can make up stories and um, also earn money. Anyway, so within all that, I realized that I like making up stories and then decided, oh, you can actually write stories for a living, uh, allegedly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, really early on decided I wanted to write wrote a 300 page Star Wars ripoff by the age of 11 I think um yeah I never really deviated from that that's brilliant well I mean the beautiful thing about writing and you know well what I do as well as writing with the acting is that you can actually be anything you can do mm. everything because you're bringing the sort of you're, li- you're sort of living vicariously through your characters which yeah. is is really cool so it's tough being a writer it's tough doing anything creative to be honest it or it feels that way but what what are the pivotal moments in your life that brought you from from there from that sort of uh, you know 11 year old that that star wars ripoff was was it good by the way <laughs> um i no i mean i think it was kind of fan fiction but not fan fiction before i knew that that was a thing but i'd kind of made up my own characters but I was sort of playing in this sandbox world of sci-fi and I also wrote a lot of westerns because that's where the cowboy came in um yeah and those were the things that I watched films and read books about um whether afraid of writing ghost stories because that that was the the childhood of point horror books remember those um so very influenced by what I was reading and consuming and and um yeah sort of replicating I guess but pivotal Mm. moments um I remember probably the first time I realized oh I really want to do this was age 10 and um there was a school project where we had to write a story from the perspective of a migrating bird we were learning about birds it was I think it was a bit off curriculum my teacher was a bird watcher and he was a bit obsessed so he was like this term all our projects are going to be about birds um so he had a great fun and I got so into this and every lesson I would say to him Mr Finney is it time to write our stories yet like no we've got to do maths and I said Mr Finney is it time to write again uh and I think we're only meant to write about two pages and I again wrote this magnum opus about this migrating sparrow and just realized that's all I wanted to do all the time so good teachers uh, were very pivotal and I think that continued on through secondary school there were some really great English teachers who 
took my terrible Star Wars ripoff and set up a writing club on a Wednesday afternoon. I was the only participant. Oh. <laughs> um, other people were invited, but no one else came. Um, just to, to to go through it with me and um, yeah, you know, and they read the most terrible stories that I'd written, but they were just so lovely about it and supportive people all the way along. Uh, my husband has always been like my biggest champion, even though he's massively dyslexic and doesn't actually read a huge amount. Like I tell him my stories and he he yeah, gets very excited about them. Yeah, so it's actually kind of the people more than moments, I would say, that have been kind of influential. And that comes all the way through to Writers HQ and the community that we've built, which I think is just the most useful thing you can have as a writer is other people to not just tell, not not even tell you that you're great. <laughs> it's always nice, <laughs> but just people to go, yeah, yeah, that I'm excited, you're excited, like do it, go for it. Good yeah, because it can on. be quite an isolating um thing to be doing writing it's oh, you yeah. and your thoughts and sometimes that creator in I always talk to my the people that I teach speaking to about the creator and the critic and how they need to be separate mm. but we you know when we're alone with our thoughts sometimes the critic can get in there and it's nice to have someone outside of that to actually say something positive or supportive or encouraging to move yeah. you carry moving you forward because I'm sure there's a lot of really good books that have never been finished absolutely it's so hard to be objective about it and I find that um teaching and editing people's work at Writers HQ and then some people they've never shared their work before ever and they have no idea and they so they just assume that they're terrible and I've had <laughs> I've given feedback to people and they've come back and they said oh my friend I showed my friend and they said you you know you had to say nice things because I was paying you or I was a member or something and so this yeah this sort of doubt is so pervasive so just you know having someone else go oh you, you know what are you doing you, you're on the right track and nobody's gonna churn out perfect first draft but you got something there that clearly you care about um yeah I the best feedback I think I've ever had is somebody who, who sat opposite me listening to me rant about my story non-stop and then just sat there and just went you seem so excited about this it's just the best thing so go and enjoy it and I thought yeah that's <laughs> that's what I needed to hear you know that's that's really good and I think it's a, like an important point about friends because friends are lovely but friends and family sometimes have you in a particular box and when you start to shift outside of the box that they've put you in it makes them uncomfortable and then they can become critical not even consciously but mm. they just want to keep you in the place that they are comfortable with you being and it also sort of you know if you're doing new things that are stretching your comfort zone then it you know then it makes them question what they're doing so it's really yeah. tough sometimes when when you've got when you've got friends and they're not supportive but there's more often behind it so um yeah. we're, we're all human now um mm. your debut novel let's talk about that uh the first novel you wrote white lies has been described as a gripping psychological thriller i want to know what inspired you to write that story and also what were some of the challenges you faced whilst bringing that to life um, 
it was a it was one of those stories that just sort of came from like this little concept that appeared one day which was a question and that's quite I just find that quite an interesting idea to base a story on a question and it was how do you mourn for somebody that you didn't have a great relationship with which I think is a lot of people can identify with in different ways and um yeah these two characters just sort of popped into being um this father and son who'd never really got on and it was yeah these two stories kind of splintered on so the the father has uh dementia and the younger son is kind of the one left caring for him or taking the sort of main responsibility um for that and very much resenting it at first and then his sort of journey of I think it's the discovery that your parents are people and have always been people and they're flawed and they are figuring themselves out as well still sometimes into late life um yeah so it it I didn't plan it at all which was probably a mistake because I spent three years editing it so that was definitely <laughs> a challenge um but I learned an awful lot it was originally called piecemeal which I still prefer as a title because it was um these two stories coming back and forth and jumping back in time and forward in time um, and it was a bit of a mess which I think is why it took me so long um uh and then I figured out that one of the narratives could bounce all over the place because this was this man um with Alzheimer's so his thinking was quite disordered and he was confusing reality with memory and uh, and then sometimes memories were being uh, kind of created into dream sequences. And then the son, Matthew, his story, I realised his needed to be told in linear order. So it was a bit more regulated. And then, yeah, once I figured that out, it kind of jigsawed together. Um, but yeah, I, I needed a deadline to get that one done. We're talking about deadlines. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't know if I should admit this. I submitted it to a couple of competitions. One, it got long listed for, and I pinned all my hopes on it, and it didn't go through, and I was devastated. But then, almost immediately afterwards, it got long listed again for a different competition, um, which had a publishing contract as a prize. And they obviously wanted to read the whole novel, and I decided just after I'd submitted it that I was going to do this structural rejig. Um, so I was like, oh, um, give me a couple of weeks and I'll get it to you. And I worked just, you know, 12 hour days fixing this. Thankfully, it was just moving things around um, rather than anything deeper. But yeah, they probably never knew that. But it worked. <laughs> Deadlines are great. <laughs> I was going to say, you can't underestimate the power of a deadline um, for focus. So, okay, so that's the, that's the sort of long story, but you also write short stories as well. And your short stories have got awards and been published all over the place. And I wondered if you could share, in your opinion and experience, what the difference is between writing a, a sort of a, a novel or, and a short story. Um, I think I got into writing short fiction, actually, while I was editing the novel, because I think I needed a break and I needed these little moments of dopamine <laughs> like a new draft something fresh instead of reading the same old words over and over again and I discovered flash fiction which I'd never heard of before um which is kind of very short stories under about a thousand words um 
and it was just this revelation because they're just moments like there's still a story there's still some deeper meaning there but you don't have to do all that development and backstory and context and make it all make sense um it flash can be really experimental and absurdist and you completely throw structure out the window and i'm still discovering new forms of it um you know years on which is just amazing so yeah that was uh, they're very different beasts i think um and a longer piece you've got to sort of prove your world you have to make it real um whereas a short piece you can i had a piece that wasn't working for ages until i threw a sea monster into it and then it became this magical realist thing i've written a story about um it's called my brother the skyscraper where everybody is a building um you can do that because it's just you know it's you can't extend a metaphor for 80,000 words, but you can for maybe 500 and people will go with it. So yeah, I think novels, there's so much information that you have to know and get down and then you have to figure out which bits are actually important and which bits are waffling and filler. You have to figure out cause and effect all the way through. And it's that where I talked about not planning the novel and then, um, you know, you can also overplan. It's figuring out that balance of how much you need and how much you're exploring along the way. So, yeah, it's very much like a puzzle. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's always quicker. I've done, I've written short fiction in like maybe one and a half drafts and it's just come out the way it was meant to be. Other times it's taken years to get a 300 word story into shape. So, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say it's quicker, but very different um different approach and have have any of those sort of short stories maybe not your own but others that you've known of then gone on to become a longer book yeah. uh yeah definitely there's um there's a lot with uh in rights hq we have a, a sort of flash fiction challenge each week so there's a lot being written and uh some of those have turned into novellas in flash which is a fairly kind of new term which is a, a collection of short pieces that all fit together and tell a story um and others have morphed into novels so it's yeah it's lovely when that happens um because you can see the writer like i want more out of this um, <laughs> and i'm trying to cut it down to this tiny word count um i did a feedback session with somebody the other day and she was trying to um get some work ready to send to a novella competition so I think max like five fifty thousand words and she'd got to about thirty thousand words and she hadn't even got started and it was really <laughs> obvious and so I had to say I think I think you want to take this further don't you yeah. um so yeah that was interesting interesting yeah. you've got two sort of roles if you like and you've you've mentioned writers hq in the and the editing side of things as well so as both the writer and an editor you've likely encountered various obstacles in the storytelling process what are some common pitfalls or challenges that storytellers often face i mean we might have covered some of them but um maybe there's others and have you got any tips for overcoming them yeah, and I wish I could apply it to myself all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's much easier fixing other people's problems or or seeing at least um, identifying them, which is 
I think that comes back to a community, you know, get a group of people that will be honest with you and go, ah, I think, you know, this is what's going on. Um, that actual, actually the planning and over planning thing is a big one. Yeah. Uh, it, there's this, there are so many imaginary rules in the writing industry community that have been created that are just very silly, I think, like that you could only be one or other, you're either a planner, or a pantser, so someone who writes by the seat of their pants. And people really like to define themselves as one or the other, but actually I think it's the middle ground that is where things work well. And obviously some people love their spreadsheets and some people feel really constrained by plans, but there's pitfalls to both. You know, if you don't have even a skeleton structure of what you're doing for something like a novel, you are gonna get lost and get stuck because you don't know what happens next. If you overplan, you're going to get stuck because you're too tied to that plan and you're not letting yourself explore, which I think a lot of the solutions come when you, you don't know the answers and you're like, oh, I'm going to go and find out. Um, another big uh, fix, I think we find a lot with writers is that they don't know, <laughs> they don't know what they're writing about, but by that, I mean, they don't know what the truth is at the heart of their story. And we have this, bingo card called the fundamental nugget of human truth which is what is your story really about not on the surface but what is that human message in the middle of it and it might be about loneliness or finding community or trust or whatever and often when you find that out and you go oh that's what I'm really writing about underneath it all it all starts to come together uh, and sometimes years later with story drafts that have sat there like this is there's something there but there's something missing and I don't know what it is and when you find it it all clicks and people get really serious about writing very serious and that's not just perfectionism or imposter syndrome or any of that or wanting it to come out perfect in the first draft which it's absolutely not going to do sorry <laughs> but it's not but people um people turn it into work quite often and torture and there's this you know romantic vision of the tortured artist full of angst all the time oh isn't writing hard um and going back to family and friends I think this is often why people don't understand because they're like well, why are you doing it then yeah. all you do is moan about writing <laughs> and you're not getting paid for it you're writing on spec there's nothing tangible to show for it for years on end what are you doing with your life is the external view and the answer to that is like you should be having fun right you should be loving what you're doing this is your creative pursuit and you should be excited about it. exactly what my friend said you seem really excited about this story it's like yeah can't wait to sit down and write can't wait to explore this world um yeah and I think again that you can sometimes find yourself writing a story that you're trying to make into something else because you think it should be something else or it's somebody's you're trying to be something you're not and that comes back to that truth you know what is the story you're trying to tell and why is this important to you um otherwise what, what are you doing at the time really yeah some, fun. yeah exactly I absolutely think that's you know the really great stuff then there's some interesting parallels between um creating a talk and creating a a, a sort of book or a story there which is around you know we we teach a structure 
but it's it's a starting point but you need the structure to mm-hmm. get the creative because often the most creative you know the best and most creative people you know start with the structure and that just gives them the freedom then to sort of yes. so you're not agonizing about the structure you've got that and you could just be free and then the talks there's this concept of the big idea and that that's yeah. like the, the a similar sort of what's the big what's the thing you want them to believe what do you want them yeah. to to take away it's like your north star does mm. does the content you know, hang around this thing and and take it where where it needs to go. And then you're right, the fun part, like, you know, you, you should be excited by your content. Like in and yeah. and if it becomes hard, you know, maybe it's it's not not right or or you need to let go. They write themselves sometimes. If you let go, like things come you you've I don't know if you've experienced this where yeah. things just come up that you're like, I have no clue where yeah. that came from <laughs> and I never could have planned it either no. it's just it was in there somewhere it came out and I think yeah stories that aren't working sometimes you do outgrow a story like there's a novel that sits on my shelf that isn't going anywhere right now I might come back to it but I think I've outgrown what I was trying to talk about when I first started it and I'm in a different place now and I'm like yeah I can see that old part of me but that's not really the story that I'm trying to tell now so um but another big thing is people feel like it's wasted like the years I spent on that that's not how is that wasted I was learning the whole time and I've discovered things and you know you've got to give along with the fun you've got to be able to experiment and say yeah yeah yeah, I'm gonna I don't know what happens next so I'm gonna see if this works no if that didn't work I'm gonna try this next and explore yeah yeah absolutely I I love that so public speaking often involves for for a lot of people delivering complex or technical information and I would imagine that in writing novels and things there is a similar obstacle sometimes to get across how do you approach communicating complex concepts in a way that makes it accessible and easily understood for your audience yeah I I mean I hope I do (laughs) (laughs) um I'm I'm have a tendency to waffle but again, it's something I'm really, I get really excited sto- uh, talking about stories and narrative structure. So it's something that I love talking about. Um, but yeah, how do you, how do you explain how to write to somebody? There's no, we kind of say like, we can't teach you how to write, even though we're teaching you how to write. Um, and we've always been quite anti all the sort of very prescriptive rules and snobbery and elitism sometimes that you get in the literary industry and there's lots of shoulds and shouldn'ts and never use the passive voice whatever that is and show don't tell and all these things and especially early writers get really I think quite daunted by it all um and you are sort of putting your soul out there when you're writing which can be quite scary I've already gone off point see here you go how do you deliver complex concepts um for me I try and connect with the person in that I'm talking to because you know when you're explaining narrative theory and structure none of it matters unless you know the characters that you're writing about so we kind of focus on that and get people to write what they know get people to look at psychology and you know the context that they're writing in um, and 
again, because there are no rules about writing, we break it down into little pieces and give lots of different options for people, um, different tools to put in their toolkit so that we might be giving quite a broad overview, but it means different people can pick different tools and, and put them together the way that suits their brain. Yeah, it's, it's when you're dealing with such broad concepts and everybody learns in absolutely different ways, we explode that concept into pieces so there's something for everybody and just make sure there's really concrete actions to take at the end of that. So there's theory and exercise and discussion is a huge part of it as well because that's where you kind of bounce those ideas back. But I think we've naturally found this little tribe of people who didn't maybe fit in in more traditional learning environments as well, either because life is too busy or they don't have the money to um, access higher education. Uh, they're caring for another human in their life. They might have neurodivergencies going on, chronic illness, people who have maybe fallen through the gaps a bit. And they seem to specifically come to us for this kind of learning that is more adaptable in itself. Because you can pick and choose that. which bits work. It's brilliant what you you're doing at Writers HQ. I got that sense of community when I came to the retreat and I've done a, a writing sort of retreat as well. And and also the way that you do make it, it's very, there's no um, pretense. There's no, um, it's very much about getting the message to people and helping them write their truth, making it relatable to people, making it concrete for people but also then saying, throw the rule book out and just like, just <laughs> write, you know, just yeah. write. And I think the same thing with speakers, you can get so, I, I find a lot of people get so hung up on what they think a presenter should be, a speaker should be, mm. and what, you know, they see TED talks and all of that. And and I think, yes, you, you, you there are structures and, you know, they are helpful, but the most important thing is that you do you and you bring your unique perspective and personality into the thing that you are sharing with people, whether that's a book, story, you know, whatever it is, it's a talk. But, I, you know, and I love that feeling that you are a collective community, but it's very much people can be absolutely who they are in that space. And there's no need to, you know, to feel uncomfortable. You know, it's yeah. a safe space. And I, th I think that's really great about oh, what you guys have created. I think what's really scary about, yeah, speaking is is letting people talk back, but I really like throwing it out into the audience and asking questions and getting examples because sometimes that just leads yeah. to something completely different. And always, always, anybody who asks a question on a Zoom or a, or a group or whatever, they've got the answer. They just needed to say it out loud. So I always try and like throw it back to them be like well yeah. you know how I'm gonna ask you a question and then they <laughs> they've got the solution they yeah and this is it I think this is why you need that back and forth instead of just yeah. being lectured at you know yeah I, I think you're absolutely right and, and uh, again a lot of this the speakers that I work with come to realize that a big part of their the value that they're adding to their audience is around shifting the perspective of their audience it's not about giving tons of information, but there are some fundamental beliefs or assumptions or myths that get in the way of people of people and organizations 
you know, getting where they want to get. So you can add tremendous value by tackling those limiting beliefs and shifting perspectives, which is, as I say, what you guys do really well. Now, one of the things that came in the up in the retreat that uh, I was at, and I know, you know, is a struggle for most people. How do you personally structure your time to (laughs) ensure maximum productivity and focus on your creative works and have, have you got any tips to share around that this is this is the uh do as I say not as I do aspect um, <laughs> <laughs> ironically I do much less writing than I used to since I have started teaching <laughs> writing but no life's just really busy but again the because we, we have a lot of like we call them productivity courses and I hate the word productivity because it's just like, you're not on a conveyor belt. You are not a product, Um, but it's, you know, it's the word, isn't it? Um, We have a lot of courses and guidance on productivity that again is really around tailoring what works for you and what works for your brain and your lifestyle and the time that you have available and the project that you're working on and really looking at all the things that come under the umbrella of creativity. So actually writing, is just one tiny part actually sitting at the laptop or at your notebook is just one tiny part of creating a story you know you can be thinking about your writing while you're walking or reading or just daydreaming at work in a boring meeting um <laughs> we've all <researching>. been there <laughs> yeah oh, sometimes that's where the best ideas come that in the shower and washing up you know just writing notes you know you don't have time to write today but you might just come up with a little snippet of dialogue and you write that down but it all feeds in and I think the more you can keep that story or the idea of writing and that excitement in your head then when you can curate some time to sit down that's going to be really effective because you've done all that um, prep work instead of people often say well I I sit down to write and then I open my laptop and then I read what I wrote last time and then I think about it and then I make some plans and then that's my writing time gone is all the prep so if you do that every day all the time you're just you know doing it naturally when you you will get to the point where you're like oh I can't wait to write this down now I'm ready it's here it's in my head and then it hopefully will just flow um and there's practical stuff like where when how why do you write best I can't write at home anymore. <laughs> it's where I work. It's where my wonderful children are, uh, my wonderful husband and my wonderful <laughs> dog, but they are very distracting. <laughs> um, it's where the laundry is and the cooking and all the other things that I could be doing. Uh, so yeah, I have to just be elsewhere. So that's, you know, find your where, or maybe you need a little corner that is just yours in your house um, that, you know, when you sit down you are in writing mode you can even keep a journal of like I wrote in the morning today really early you know did I get much done I wrote late at night how did that feel you know you might have different cycles like circadian rhythms of writing when you you work best do you need music do you need silence you know I have this vivid memory of sitting in my living room trying to getting really frustrated that I I'd written about five words and I really, really wanted to write. And I, I threw a bit of a tantrum about like, why can't I just do it? I'm sitting down, I'm writing and like nothing is coming. And I was like, right, there's SpongeBob on the TV at like 
volume 11. <laughs> Dinner needs to be made. I haven't hung the washing out. You know, I'm knackered after the end of the day. Like this is really not the environment <laughs> to write in. And yet I'm beating myself up because I'm not performing, being productive. Um, so yeah, that was a bit of a shift of like expectations. You know, not everyone can write every day. Not everyone can get up at 5am and do yoga and write. It's not, <laughs> you've got to be realistic. Yeah, and I think there's another really important point that you've brought out there, you know, is I think you've got to be your own best friend a little bit as well. Because, you know, if you beat yourself, if you sit down to beat and, and don't write and beat yourself up, every time you sit down to write, there's going to be that negative uh, feeling about it before you've even started. But I think that's really important and sort of, yeah. you know, that and taking stock like you did. Like I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, the making that environment perfect for you. Uh, that negative association, like that's a, they've done studies on that psychological association that you, because that guilt and then it's a cycle. Yeah. And um, um, yeah, and I always thought I was a night owl because when I was younger, I had insomnia and I would stay up for hours, you know, 2 a.m. writing. I can't do that now. I'm like hitting 40. I've got kids. So I'm just, I'm naked. I'm also not a morning person. So that leaves, you know, limited time in the day. But um, yeah, you can find your, your time and at Writers HQ another thing we do is we give out gold stars like real gold star stickers we found are incredibly motivating for adults amazing um so we do that at retreats and it, you know people have like jars they put a quid in every time they write a thousand words or whatever it is like just make a positive association even just for sitting down to write you know oh I'm gonna put a gold star on my notebook <laughs> good on me I I tried even if you stare at the screen for half an hour you put you know it will build yeah and absolutely yeah. That, that, they're really good thank you very much and and just I mean we've talked a bit about Writers HQ and sort of dipped into what you guys do there can you remember the point at which you thought right this is I need to start this or, and, and also some of the sort of challenges that you have around keeping this organization going. Yeah, um, it started, well, uh, my business partner, Sarah, also Sarah, started uh, the Brighton retreat 2014, no, earlier than that, 2012 maybe. And purely because there was, you know, there were all these lovely retreats out there, cost an awful lot of money, required you to drop your life for two weeks or even just a long weekend you know and and that wasn't financially possible for me that wasn't technically possible for me um, and I started getting really frustrated at all these amazing opportunities that were not possible or accessible for someone even just somebody with a job or a family you know um, so Sarah obviously felt the same way and she set up a one-day retreat so you know nine, 10 to 4 most people can manage that once a month, um, even though we still get predominantly women who come and feel very guilty that they're spending one day a month on themselves, which uh, is a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, and I had a nine-month-old baby at the time, so did she, instantly. So the first thing I said was, where have you been all my life? And can I nip out to breastfeed halfway through? <laughs> and she said, oh, yeah, same, come along. So already from the beginning, it felt very inclusive um 
yeah, and that, that went on for a few years. And then we got an Arts Council grant to um, develop some online courses because um, I'd been looking at doing some, um, developing some courses with some existing organisations. And then we are just like, why don't we do our own? You know, we don't need to piggyback on anybody. We've got these people who clearly need what we were giving. Um, and that's how it started. So yeah, we had this little suite of six courses initially, and now we've got over 25. We, pre-pandemic, we had 14 retreats around the UK, one day retreats in different locations. That obviously did not do well with lockdown. Um, they, we had to close them all down. We are very slowly starting to reopen them now. We've got uh, nearly four, nearly one is opening again soon. And we kind of pivoted to online retreats and online workshops and webinars, which have also been really popular because again, they're even more accessible. People in different time zones, people you can yeah. attend in person, people who need to watch them back, uh, you know, afterwards or yeah, it's been really wonderful watching that grow. The challenges obviously were the pandemic. Yeah. For somebody with real life events, I think everyone has struggled and oh my gosh, venue prices. Some of them have gone up 300%. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so some of them are just not viable for what we do. And we're not prepared to put our prices up to cover it because we're already, you know, we, we don't want to make put it out of reach of people, you know, and cost of living. And, and we are we are a luxury item, really. Um, so you can see, I, I know a lot of small business owners are finding the same thing. You know, if you are not an essential item right now, uh, unfortunately, people don't want to, but they're having to cut back on these mm. things. And we've had some tech difficulties, which is a whole other story. But, you know, we're, we're, we are still a very small business. I, th I don't think people realise there's like, there's only a few of us here. Yeah, we're, We are so lucky to have the most incredible staff and we've got this team of freelancers who run a lot of our events and they are amazing and we've got this beautifully friendly collaborative generous community around us but um yeah it's it's tough out there we are yeah. we're looking into funding in different ways now but um yeah we're, we're still here good and hopefully we'll still be here for years to come I think it's interesting in terms of positioning this, you know, whether it's an essential item or not, when you've got to consider people's well-being. Mm. So there's a lot of stress, a lot yeah. of uh, pressure with everything that's going on. And for a lot of people, this might have been their way of de-stressing and coping with everything else that's going on. And if you if you put it in that context, it becomes more of an essential item. Yeah, it really um, is, yeah. So and, I and think, the escapism, I think, and the, you know, what you get from your creative pursuits, and especially yeah. in lockdown, like, this is why we, we ended up doing most of our events are free, which is not a great money-making model. I'm going to admit it, it's not. <laughs> but... We, there's no way we would stop them because we've we've had that feedback they're like do you know what I you got me through lockdown mm -hmm. you know people who'd never written before have now had collections published novels published and that started from a free short story challenge you know so you think yeah, yeah you're right we are essentially we just need somebody to recognize that and give us a boatload of money to carry on doing it you know? yeah <laughs> 
yeah i mean it's it's interesting so we we have some of the same conversations about theater we for the mm-hmm. show that we just did we did a pay what you can model which that. was interesting with tiered with tiered pricing and and i think we we try to make it because our belief is to make it accessible just like you but equally there are people who can pay more and in some ways can subsidize the others that, that can't do. yeah you yeah. find that I mean yeah. I have these conversations a lot I kind of my sound my sandbox no sandbox soapbox <laughs> my soapbox is um yeah inaccessible opportunities that are charging a lot and they don't offer the page you feel or a free subsidized place and I challenge a lot of literary organizations who aren't maybe doing the work and the, the replies I've had are so telling like we're looking for quality so that was their reason for not providing a low cost or free oh, access that's really and I was interesting. like I was like oh what what do you mean by that could you explain why you think somebody who can't afford well, let's be honest now like sometimes the cost of a competition is half your weekly shop especially now in cost of living like why that would relate to quality and why you are gatekeeping and reducing the amount of voices that can be heard. So yeah, whereas when we um, we actually put our prices down, quite a lot of people got really angry about it. They were like, no, I want to give you more money. <laughs> and that I'm going to keep paying the higher price whether you like it or not. And um, we set up our bursary, which is based on donations. And then we we match fund it and we pass on free membership to pretty much anybody who asks, to be honest. They don't, there's, all sorts of reasons why somebody might want uh, a free membership and people are so generous and people give way over what you have you know suggested on that page you feel um so yeah I think it's a complete myth and that's the other argument people say like oh if you say pay as you feel then everyone's going to take the mickey and no one's going to pay and that's not been our experience whatsoever no, ours neither. And but I think you know I was just talking to a new client yesterday who we were having a conversation about talent and how some industries have not been set up for people who are talented, but perhaps in in a minority group or in a low income background to be able to get on in that space and. And I think that in, that is interesting response, which is like, uh, you know, talent means you've got a certain income or a certain background. That's not yeah. the case, but really interesting. Oh, well, thank you for sharing all of that stuff. Now, before I let you go, I have some standard questions, which I ask all my guests. First of all, this is the speaking club. What has speaking done for you? I kind of did it by accident. I'm not a... I wouldn't say I'm a speaker, <laughs> but um, it has become a big part of my job. And I run all these workshops. I think I think it's because I love what I'm talking about. And that has, has definitely helped me explore these ideas with my audience and with my students um, and with the community, which has been really nice. So, yeah, I'm, it's been quite a collaborative experience, I think, for me, because I'm not on a stage or anything. I am just talking to these small groups of people. You were on a stage at the retreat. I saw you, you were on a stage. So, <laughs> you know what was really funny about that? I say I'm not a speaker. I did, I was part of the debate club at school and I used to sing and do gigs and stuff. But I, and 
I, I did always want to get into theatre, but I've always been so, so scared and so, so shy about it. That weekend of festival that you're talking about, I don't know if that I was just absolutely exhausted by that point. <laughs> All because it was, I was surrounded by people that I, I knew and, and it was this community and, and was talking about something I was passionate about. I wasn't scared at all getting up on that stage because it was like just talking to friends. Mm. Um, and that, that was quite a moment actually for me. It's like, oh, I'm doing this on a stage with a microphone and it's okay. I'm not <laughs> worrying about what I'm doing with my hands or anything. I'm just talking. So yeah, that's nice. And I think that's the thing is part of it is seeing the audience as someone you're having a conversation with, albeit a bigger, bigger audience. Now, second question. Have you ever had a time where you've had a speaking gig or like you've spoken and it's it's not gone to plan and it's like, oh, I wish I could erase that from my memory. Has that happened to you? Yeah, nothing too terrible. Again, because I work with small groups, it's fairly forgiving and you can, you know, you've got more of a sort of personal thing. I did end up doing a series of workshops for some college students. So they were like 16 to 18, the most brutal age they will sit there and stare at you like you're an alien like you know and they'll question everything and they'll point out when you're wrong <laughs> uh but they were really great kids but it, that was terrifying <laughs> <laughs> excellent but you did it anyway so that's good I did it and I think it went okay I'm sure it did okay next question um this is going to possibly be a tough one for you. What's the book that you've read that's had most impact on your life and why? Oh, no. <laughs> um, uh, going back to short fiction, um, I had always tried to write sto short stories and found it really difficult. Um, and I still do, to be honest. Um, but I didn't really get it. And then I read a collection called The Dog of the Marriage by Amy Hempel, uh, which is a collection of short stories. And it blew my mind because I just didn't know that you could write short stories in that way. I always thought they had to be really, you know, structured and have a beginning, middle of an end, and or maybe there's a twist and whatever. And she just wrote about people and life and she had these really interesting structures. And yeah, it was just a complete eye-opener and... Um, I think that's I've taken that with me as I've gone on in in, a, in all of that stuff about breaking the rules and finding what works for you. Um, and love there's no that. right way to do something. So yeah, that's I love that. Still one of my favorites. We'll put that a link to that book in the show notes as well. Okay, penultimate question then. What's the best bit of business advice you've had and why? Oh God. I'm not sure that I've had enough good business <laughs> advice. <laughs> wait this all we kind of did it by accident yeah I I personally think we're still figuring it out but again if you're not doing what you love and you're not passionate about what you're doing and you're doing it for a reason then you can have, obviously have success and it can be fine but it's a job and more and more I'm looking at parts of the business that I'm like no this is actually what matters and how can we make this work and yes, how do we survive as a business and make money, but not at the cost of people who can't access that? I yeah. don't know what the answer to that is. I think 
the whole world is still figuring that out but I think that's a worthy pursuit for me excellent so doing what you love makes it less of a job and more of a of a passion yeah cool last question then if you could have one mentor and they can be alive or dead fictional or non-fictional who would you choose and why I (laughs) uh, I've always loved Kurt Vonnegut he feels like a dad one that you wouldn't probably want as your dad Um, (laughs) but you know like how someone else parents are always like they give you good advice and they treat you really nicely and then your friend's like oh no not my parents um so I think he would be like that and he's very much just doesn't subscribe to the rules and uh broke all the rules of science fiction and fiction and um has lots of wisdom about story structure so yeah I'd love to love to send him my stories and see what he had to say he probably says something really useless like just you know what do you think Uh, (laughs) like you ask people (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) excellent thank you so much for for sharing all of that stuff is there anything else that you feel like you need to say in order to call this interview complete oh gosh no well aside from thank you very much for having me but yeah just keep keep passing on knowledge and ask questions and find solutions together yeah don't be an isolated artist because there's no fun in that love that yeah and in in particular in relation to your lot keep writing or as you say I can't say what you guys (laughs) say but it always makes me laugh but there's a lot of expletives that uh, make me chuckle we have a we have a slightly more sanitized version which is stop faffing around and start writing um stop stop faffing around and start writing because some places won't post our logo which has a slightly different version um so yeah if you're a faffer stop faffing (laughs) brilliant joe thank you so much and best of luck with everything that you're doing appreciate it thank you for having me i hope you found that useful for building your stories and keeping things moving forward joe is so committed and passionate about helping others get writing and it's lovely to see. She and the other Writers HQ peeps have built an amazing community and if you want to do more writing or even start writing, then it's definitely worth checking it out. Attending her retreat this year certainly helped me to get uh, my newest play finished. So uh, do also go and tie up with Joe on Twitter or Threads, which just launched this week. Don't know if you're on there. I've just popped on there, see what it's all about. I'm sure if she's not on there, she'll be on there soon, uh, along with, I don't know, 50 million other people in maybe just like 48 hours or something. Amazing. Anyway, just tie up with her wherever you can find her and let her know if something resonated with you. Now, today, before we wrap up, I just want to share again about a brand new free resource I've created for you. It's a guide to help you go from blank page to stage with your speaking. And if you're an expert who's been booked to speak, but you're struggling to get started, then this is for you. Because in less than an hour, you'll be able to nail the topic for your upcoming talk in a way that engages the audience and gets you new clients without anyone feeling pitched to. 
And that's even if you've got tons of material and you don't even feel your subject is exciting. Anyway, if you want to grab this new guide, then all you have to do is head over to saraharcher.co.uk slash new guide, or one word, hyphen T-S-C. That's saraharcher.co.uk slash new guide hyphen T-S-C. Okie dokie. Thank you so much again for choosing to listen to The Speaking Club. And if you got value, I'd love it if you could take a couple of minutes to leave an honest rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash T-S-C or wherever you're listening. I'll catch you next time. But until then, you know what I'm going to say. Don't forget to go out, grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. It's a nightmare. You're an expert with so much to say, but now that you've been booked to speak, you're struggling to know exactly what to talk about. You want a talk that engages the audience and wins you new clients without you losing your personality or anyone feeling pitched to. But what happens when you sit down to create that talk is that you end up staring at a blank page for ages or worse, surrounded by hundreds of sticky notes with content that you could include. With so much material, you just don't know where to start or finish. Don't worry, because many experts like you face exactly the same challenge. And that's why I created the Blank Page to Stage Guide. In just 50 minutes, this breakthrough resource is going to help you identify the big idea of your message, make it relatable for the audience that you're speaking to, and convey it all in a way that gets the audience inspired and on board with your idea. And it works even if you have tons of material or your subject feels less than exciting. If you want to cut through swathes of content and get a talk that you're excited to share, your audience loves and wins you new clients, then grab your blank page to stage guide from saraharcher.co.uk slash new guide hyphen TSC. Oh, I forgot to say, it's completely free. Enjoy. Enjoy.